This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Froze and I'm joined by James Heal and Isabel Hardman. Well, the Suella storm is ongoing. It doesn't look like she has been fired yet or stepped down. James, could you give us an update on if anything's changed so far? Well, it's a Friday today, which means, of course, MPs are away from Westminster in their constituencies, which means that perhaps a little bit of the heat that was sort of building yesterday has gone down a bit. But I think over the weekend, really, there's going to be two things in the coming week to watch out for. First of all, obviously, the demonstration on Saturday and thereafter the Rwanda uh, ruling on the Wednesday. I think these are two of the big yardsticks. Uh, Talking to MPs yesterday, I think a lot of MPs in the centre ground of the party are pretty annoyed by how this whole gone down. You know, the argument that Rishi Sunak's supporters are saying is, you know, look, we've got had this King speech this week, some sensible stuff in there. We want to be talking about all of that, what we're going to do to meet voter concerns. And yet you see media round after media round happen with Mark Harper, with Michael Gove, and then this morning with Jeremy Hunt talking about the economic figures instead get asked questions about sort of Braverman. So I think there's a bit of um, you know discontent there in the centre of the party. That said, talking to some MPs on the right of the party, they seem um, you know pretty supportive of Suella, even if they necessarily agree with everything in the article. So I think that there's going to be a real crunch point there. I think the key thing to watch out for is tomorrow when that march happens and depending on what kind of scenes we see there and how bad it is i think so other supporters may well say that cry vindication as a result of that but now increasingly there's talk perhaps of again the long-awaited reshuffle happening next week as well perhaps for that rwanda verdict you know this morning i thought it'd be wait until wednesday but um pick up some noises of that so if it does happen beforehand that'll be really interesting to see what happens and it comes at a time of course when you know police reform is a home affairs select committee report out today which has been completely lost in all of this um, because instead of talking about the issue of policing we're talking instead about the individuals in the cabinet and that article you're referring to james is of course suella braverman's times op-ed yesterday where she said that the metropolitan police must be more even-handed with the protests at the weekend isabel we've spoken about the pressures that suella braverman is under from westminster but what about outside of westminster how how have the police reacted to her article yeah so i think another interesting thing has been quite how many members of the policing establishment sort of you know former uh, chief inspectors, former uh, Met police commissioners, former deputy commissioners, and so on and so forth, ha- have come out to defend the police, and and you'd expect that um, when a Home Secretary launches what I think is is quite an unprecedented attack on the operational independence of the Metropolitan Police. Uh, but I also wonder whether there's also a a risk that we have a pendulum swing here. We get those in politics and they tend to go from one bad thing to another um, bad thing. And it's a pendulum swing away from being able to criticise the police legitimately or indeed from being able to reform the police. And obviously, Sorella Braverman has created this pendulum swing. And I think it's probably fair to say that police reform has not really been that high on her list of priorities as Home Secretary. You know, you sit in Home Office questions in the House of Commons every month, every six weeks, and the same questions get asked. And after another police officer is, you know, found guilty of of, of rape or of murder or uh, of other, you know, sec- often sexually motivated crimes, you get statements from the Home Secretary where MPs ask her, and this is MPs from all sides, including always former Home Secretary Priti Patel, 
about when Suella Braverman is going to bring in the reforms that the police themselves have asked for uh, to be able to sack rogue coppers. At the moment, it is too hard to do that. And Braverman has largely pushed back, saying that she's waiting for the results of various reviews. So she hasn't exactly been sort of speeding on with police reform herself prior to this uh, row, but it will be nigh impossible for her to do anything at all, even if she does stay in job afterwards. But I also wonder with the character of the Labour Party as it is, with Yvette Cooper, who you know is uh, one of the few Labour frontbenchers who actually knows what it's like to be in government, uh, very effective, uh, very focused on doing things properly, which as we've said many times on this podcast, could be an improvement on some areas of government at the moment. But I wouldn't say she's a rock the boat uh, Home Secretary in waiting. And neither on this would be Keir Starmer. I think his sympathies, understandably, as former DPP, are much more likely to to lean towards the uh, sort of maintaining a good relationship with the police and wanting to do what former Labour Home Secretaries Uh, like David Blunkett would do, which was to stand alongside the police to sort of show to the right, both in the party and much more importantly, the electorate, that they cared about law and order. And also because actually the the, the sort of the trade unionist aspect of the police uh, made them quite quite easily uh, amenable to a Labour Home Secretary. Um, and, you know, I think you could probably say the same about a number of uh, Tories as well, who, who sort of relied on the police um, and really allowed quite a kind of cosy situation to develop in the Met where they have known they haven't really got much of a threat of being reformed. And I think a lot of us thought after, particularly after the Sarah Everard case, that that was starting to change. And I don't just mean after um, after Sarah Everard's murder, but I also mean after the vigil that women had after her murder. And there was a lot of criticism then of policing and of the Metropolitan Police Uh, And it feels as though in the way that Westminster often does, where people just sort of inhale the fumes of the prevailing argument and start making it themselves. Everyone sort of changed to, oh, no, we must defend the police, which I don't think is a particularly good place to end up either, because the police manifestly do need reform. Now, what they don't need is a Home Secretary having a go at them, partly because I, I think she was not at the meeting where Rishi Sunak tried to calm things down with the Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Mark Rowley that that's definitely not what anyone wanting reform needs at all but uh, but I do think there could be a, a pendulum swing that, that could last quite a while if Labour gets into government. Yeah just to add on that quickly um, I think that you know, Yvette Cooper herself criticised the way in which the Metropolitan Police policed the Sarah Everard vigil at the time so I think it'd be unfair to say you know we can never question you know police operations etc but I do think the intervention this week has made it harder for politicians who not necessarily of Suella Braverman's political persuasion to go about making this argument. So all that kind of big consensus that seemed to be forming last year with things like the the Casey report into Metropolitan Police's internal culture, that does seem to have fallen by the wayside. I do think also the the appearance of Priti Patel before the COVID inquiry this week offered a different approach perhaps to how you could have gone about this whole operation this week, which is that Priti Patel's argument was, you know, she was very much on the side of the police, you know, and was going to reform it as an ally. And I think there could have been a much more, there could have been a very difficult approach adopted, not just by you know, the Home Secretary, but also the Prime Minister, which could be perhaps to say you stand with the police and therefore allow them the operational independence to make this decision um, and then basically, you know, on their heads be it. And so uh, that could have been a different way to perhaps get around this rather than sort of split the party on this issue. Now, James, 
with talk about Suella Braverman losing her job, there is also talk about there being a reshuffle. And Conservative Home released a cabinet league table a few days ago. And surprisingly, James Cleverly was at the top of their grassroots poll. What did you make of that? Well, I mean, I think that, first of all, it shows that there's a lot of names in flux ever since that Ben Wallace... For so long, the one constant of British politics at the top of that uh, Conservative Home League ranking table for 18 months. Um, you know, now that he's gone in, in September, it meant that the first of all, it was Kemi Badnock was top and now it's James Cleverley. And I think that perhaps shows some indication of a few things. You know, first of all, I think obviously the last month has seen um, Cleverley in the spotlight a lot in terms of the, res- the government's response to what happening on Israel-Palestine. And I think that although we, we I think a lot of you know, MPs in Westminster, you know, across the House sort of debate what Israel's doing, etc. I think that the UK government's response has been pretty admirable. You saw how quickly uh, Rishi Sunak was able to scramble a full host of meetings when he went out to to the Middle East, not just with Netanyahu, but also with the President of Israel and with MBS and going to Egypt as well. Um, so I think, the, I think that the, the the UK government has done pretty well on that compared to say for instance we look at say Afghanistan a couple of years ago so I think that the foreign officer's response has been has has been good and so I think it, I think it also shows how Tory members are, are are viewing different bits of the government's strategy so for instance second bottom from that poll was Jeremy Hunt and so I think there's a lot of discontent in terms of the economic focus but I think that you know it, to some extent it's it shows why James Cleverley will be I think a a a rumored contender for the next Tory leadership because he's just seen as someone who you know he was a Brexiteer himself who's in the you know center right of the party but whom I think a lot of the, the kind of Tory left could possibly coalesce around just because he's someone who you know has served three different prime ministers um and has seen as a good party man at a time when I think others in the party are looking at other individuals, other members of the cabinet and questioning you know are they just in it for themselves or are they actually doing it for the good of the party Isabel, I suppose when it comes to Rishi Sunak managing his cabinet, and obviously there's the general election to think about, how much is, do you think he's the type of prime minister that will think about some of these rising stars or potential competitors, especially thinking about Suella Braverman at the moment, who actually some of her comments recently have appealed to a, the, the right of the party. Do you think he's worried about competition? Yeah, he's well, he's got to decide whether Suella Braverman will do him more damage within cabinet or outside. Um, I don't think he's one of those leaders who is particularly sort of paranoid or insecure about his status. I mean, you have to always have your sort of eye over your shoulder as Tory leader because you are constantly being plotted against. Um, but I don't think he's got that sort of personal insecurity that actually a lot of politicians have. So I suspect he won't be as worried as some about having people in his cabinet who are also ambitious um, and, you know, whether that would raise their profile or not. We are sort of in the place where you can have a fantastic profile and a huge amount of support from the backbenches as well. One of the bigger risks, I think, is, you know, whenever you have a reshuffle, you make enemies and they then start to coalesce around those um, around those figures on the backbenches who are trying to, to, to drum up support. And I guess also... He's going to have a party that is very noisy going into the next election and that's not going to... I think it would be absolutely amazing if the Conservative Party managed to get itself together enough to have a kind of unified message, even in the election campaign. And so he's got to work out how he can ensure at least some message discipline from the uh, members of the Cabinet who he should have a reasonable amount of control over. Uh, and so perhaps that will become more of a more of a factor 
let's keep this faction in the Conservative Party happy. Let's keep that faction in the Conservative Party happy. He might conclude they're never going to be happy. So he might as well go for some people who will at least vaguely say the same things as him. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thanks for listening.